This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Real Life Podcast, brought to you by The Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, we open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to law enforcement. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's Thin Blue Line, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Before we start this episode, I have some shout outs that I want to give that are very deserving. Um, First of all, I want to thank... Um, some people who have been sponsoring this podcast monetarily. And I want to thank Ron, Katie, Paul, Kelly, and Anne. I sincerely appreciate your support. It will help um, in future episodes as I'm using a program that costs money. (laughs) So um, I'm not making money off the podcast at all. That's not what this is about. But I do appreciate the funding to use the program to... um, record my guests on. So that's, that's really awesome. Thanks all five of you. Let's see. I have, I have to give a good shout out to Kirbyville, Texas. Their criminal justice program is reading my book right now through my eyes. Mr. Davis is the head of that criminal justice program. And I'm supposed to say hello to all the kids in his class. So hello everyone. Um, I really hope you're enjoying the book. If you started it, I think you started it last week. It's sad, it's gross, it's, uh, well, anyway, <laughs> um, I'm just thankful that you'll all, you're, you're all reading it. Um, I'm stumbling over my words because I'm trying not to cry. Every time I talk about my book, it, it makes me tear up just a little bit. Anyways, um, I also learned that a forensics, uh, I think it's a, like a college, like an online course, or maybe it is, maybe it's not just online, maybe it's Um, a real place. I'll have to look into that more. But if forensics um, course is making my book a mandatory read starting with the academy next month and I I cannot believe that it it just it makes me so happy that people are going to be reading the stories and understanding that law enforcement doesn't just go to a scene and leave and go to the next scene and leave. They actually have to stop and process these scenes emotionally because we're all human and these scenes do stay with us for years and years and years and so i i'm glad that they actually have to read something like that it's not you know these classes are not just filled with you know classroom work and you're not just learning how to forecast or fingerprint or you know record evidence or book evidence you're learning about your emotions and you're learning about what it's going to take to get through all these scenes so i'm really happy about that too okay let me start listing some names of people that i'm really thankful for and um 
there's there's so many people I, I can't even fit them all in there's ron ferris julie bailey ann wedig cindy ward the roll call room and the resting mom face podcast pat yawn cammy i have your six keeping it real lois alma with the yellow flower in her hair allison boomer carol otto jason lee johnny socks griff girly girl sergeant manders who was just on an episode last week she rocks katie susan in seattle Lori Reynolds and Julie Bailey. So those are all my shout outs for this week. Enjoy listening to Sarah, the 911 dispatcher. Here we go. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Hello, everyone. We're being joined today by Sarah, who used to be a 911 dispatcher and wants to tell her story about how she dealt with depression. So hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Can you just tell us really briefly um, before we get into specifics? Tell us um, how long ago you were um, a dispatcher. When was your very first dispatching job? It was in 2009, so about eight to 10 years ago. Okay. How old are you right now? I am 31. Okay. Um, did you always want to be a dispatcher or how did your very first job as a dispatcher come about? Well, I've always had an interest in law enforcement. Um, that's because me and my dad used to watch cops all the time. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I had the opportunity to apply for a small town job uh, as a dispatcher. And I filled, you know, filled out the application and a few months later I get a call, you know, Hey, are you still interested in being a dispatcher? And I was really excited. So I was like, yes. <laughs> and that's kind of how that came about. Gotcha. Okay. So were you the only female in your, I guess, department or your 911 dispatch area? Um, when I was hired, we had a part-time, she was female. Um, she wasn't there for very long. Um, and then there was another older female and she worked during the days. So 
there was only, you know, a couple of, of us and usually how it worked, um, hardly ever would we be on at the same time. Okay. So you, it sounds like you worked for a very, very small department. Is that correct? Yes. The most officers we had were six, maybe seven. Altogether. Oh, okay. So when you were a dispatcher, you were also 911. You were dispatching. What other hats did you have to wear in this job? Uh, so many, <laughs> almost everything, unless I needed something, you know, from my supervisor or something. You know, I would be housekeeper, uh, jailer, you know, transport if we needed an extra person to go with the officer. Jailer? You had a jail right there where you were dispatching at? Yep, just a few feet behind me. Wow. So you're talking maybe like an intake tank until they get transferred to a real jail, right? To a county jail or a city jail? Or was this where they actually stayed? Depending on the charges. Um, okay. If they okay. were like county charges, then we'd hold them until county come pick them up. Um, okay. But we did have municipal charges, so they would stay there twelve days, just depending on how much their warrant was for. Okay. Wow. So you you did play a huge role in that department. You were nine one one caller. You were a dispatcher, a jailer, a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's that's unbelievable. So tell me about the stress that went that went on in this job oh well being the only one especially at nights um i'd have two officers uh at about 3 a.m one officer would leave so it'd be just me and another officer so if you know i talking about officer in the field right driving around in the patrol car yes yep. okay so um, it was only you and that and that patrol officer in that whole city right yeah or was it the county uh it was city but okay. we did uh, interact with two different counties okay. um, where I was. So, wow. but, you know, one night, you know, like if the electricity went out in town, I'm the only one there. So I, I took over a hundred calls by myself and oh. I'm trying to get out the electrician and I can't because these citizens, they keep calling. I'm like, I, I'm trying to find out. Oh. <laughs> wow. So, so you're, you're actually the electrician for the town as well. <laughs> Yeah, like oh, hours, if they needed something, you know, certain questions, you know, we'd have to wait till like City Hall opened or anything like that. But um, we did have a book of like codes and ordinances and everything. So what, so, how, how long did you work in this particular position? How many years? A um, little over two years. And, and what made you leave? Like, talk about the stress or the anxiety that you were going through. What was it that made you leave that job? Really, I think I, because I was there constantly. You know, we worked 10-hour shifts, then it moved to 12 hours when we got shorthanded. Um, and there for a while, I was starting to work like 16-hour shifts, 21-hour shifts, just because of the crazy calls coming in and having to do transports and everything. So, you know, just the stress of being there constantly, I think, not really giving my mind that mental break that it needed. Because right. I only, I also live two blocks away. So, oh gosh, I sound like you got burnt out. I did. And, you know, I never knew what that feeling was. And it literally makes you feel like you're going crazy. Oh, I bet. You have to and, have time to de stress and defuse and 
and be you instead of a, a dispatcher. Go home and be a girl. Be Sarah. Yeah, exactly. And and that was hard to separate. It is hard yeah. to separate. I, I know what you mean. So, yeah. so you quit that job, and then you went on to what? Another another nine one one job somewhere else? Or tell us about that. I did. I went to a county that was rather large, um, but the transition was not very good. Um, I still didn't realize I was burning out at the time. Um, but just the people there, they just really weren't very welcoming in making the transition easier. Okay. Some things I was just kind of thrown in like, Hey, <laughs> so I quit that one. Let my mind kind of rest for a little bit, tried a different place. They trained me for one week, just one week and put me on my own Ooh, and wow. it was completely different in that department than it was out, you know, where the little department was. Okay. So, so it was stressful, obviously. Yes, most definitely. Do you think that you have, um, I mean, I hate to throw acronyms at you, but like, do, do you feel like you have PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder that most people experience in departments or law enforcement fields? Do you have anything like that? Or do you have any anxiety or I know you have depression. We're going to talk about that, but is there anything else that is, was going on in your life at the time uh, that you didn't know about? And then all of a sudden you were like, Oh, well that, that played a role. Um, you know, I think looking back now, I did have, have anxiety. Um, and a lot of it, you know, my mind would just overthink constantly. And so that didn't help any kind of situation either. And of course, being a dispatcher, my mind was always running, thinking, what if this happened? What if that happened? How would I handle this? How would I handle that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mind really just wasn't quiet and I wasn't able to process very well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, over the years, it just kind of got worse from there. I'm not sure if I really have PTSD. If I do, it's very slight. Um, mm -hmm. but I've never been diagnosed with it. Do you have anything else that could have caused what you were going through? Um, I think a lot of just, you know, health, just regular health issues, you know, may have played a role because it's like, oh, I don't know how to, you know, fix this problem or anything like that. So just stress upon stress upon stress. And then it caused you to go into a depression, correct? Yes. And of course, I've yeah. battled depression, you know, probably since before high school even, but I was actually diagnosed in, during high school. Oh, okay. And so, but when I, when I started working 911, it kind of progressed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of negativity in the job, but there's a lot of positives too. Mm -hmm. And I think, I was letting that negative get to me more than anything. Okay. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I wasn't processing that negativity like it should be. Did you seek any counseling for your depression and anxiety? I did. Um, and I, I've seen counselors, you know, off and on, but I never felt very comfortable with them because mm -hmm. I always felt like, you know, they're judging me or whatever. But recently, um, I met someone, he connected me to his wife, 
and she is an absolute gem. <laughs> and she's a counselor? She is. A licensed she is a counselor? Okay. Uh-huh. And so each week we get together and just talk and, you know, and this was just in the last few months because I met her, I think around June of last year, but I have progressed so well, um, with her that, you know, my mind's clear, you know, I don't feel like I have to take medications. And so it's really nice. I feel free. So you finally sought counseling just six months ago. You didn't even seek counseling years ago when all this is going on, right? Correct. Well, you probably, you didn't have time either. You said you were working 16 hour shifts. My gosh, you can't even, you, you wouldn't have had time to go seek a counselor if you wanted to. My goodness. It was like working home, working home. (laughs) Right. Like there's no time for hobbies or, you know, and that's, that's a large part of the law enforcement field, dispatch, Mm -hmm. 911, law enforcement, even fire, fire lives there, you know, for 24 hours a day. You've Mm got to have something else besides work because I know work is fun sometimes. I know we all have our, our buddies at work and things like that. I get that, but still the job is so hard sometimes and emotional and depressing. I mean, seeing a a dead child or even hearing, I mean, I I can imagine the the 911 calls you received hearing Mm -hmm. all those things. You're hearing it happen. That's it's depressing. I mean, you have to have time to come off of that high, you know? Yeah. Like I would go home and sometimes like, you know, I may have like a beer or, you know, just kind of sit down, watch TV. And I would, instead of watching like, you know, uh, shows with, you know, dealing with crimes and everything, I turned it on to Disney Channel or Nickelodeon watch cartoons or little okay. funny shows. That's funny that you say that. Have you read my book through my eyes yet? Uh, not yet. I'm actually still waiting for it to come in. Oh, so you didn't get the ebook. You got the paperback. Okay. I yep. talked about that in there. I say that when I get, got home from work at three o'clock in the morning, I would have to de-stress and come down off of my, you know, 12 hour day by watching comedy shows mm-hmm. and, you know, the golden girls. And, and that's, yes. that's how I, that's how I, I know I, I still didn't deal with what I was going through. I just pushed it away but at least I can unwind and get my mind off of something else so I can sleep at that moment, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean by watching something um, completely different than what you're doing. That's funny. Yeah. And something that doesn't have, you don't, your mind doesn't have to think, you know, you just, you just yeah. watch. Right. Yeah. No thinking, just shut it off, you know? Yeah. Um, is there, I mean, tell me a story, if you have one, about a traumatic moment for you on the job, like one that still haunts you today. Because a, a lot of us do have that that one scene or a few scenes or a few moments that just still are with us right now. Uh, do you have Do you have anything like that? I do. There's a few, but one that really stands out. Um, one night, I received a 911 call. Um, this female, she was just hysterically crying and everything, and course, you know, I'm kind of having to raise my voice so I can get her attention to calm her down. You know, I'm just kind of saying, Hey, okay, calm down a little bit, breathe, you know, Mm -hmm. tell me what's going on, you know? And, you know, she was like, well, my father can't breathe and everything. So, you know, I'm like, make sure he's sitting up, his airway's clear and everything. So I told her, I'm like, 
I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. And I'm, I made sure that she understood what I was going to do. Cause it was just me. I was like, I'm going to put you on hold so I can get contact the ambulance. Of course I already had my, my officers en route by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I quickly called them, uh, got back on the line with her. Everybody got there, but the next day I, I, I came in to work and my assistant supervisor told me that her father didn't make it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, still in my mind, you know, I'm like, okay, is there anything better that I could have done? Could I done something a different way? You know, of course I know that that's not, you know, I I don't have no control over that. I know that Uh it's all in God's hands at that time, but you know, my, my heart still aches for, you know, and, and, and it does. So like, if I'm at work now and we get a call, oh, you know, a patron's having chest pains, you know, every once in a while, it, that'll pop into my mind. Oh, so you think about that back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's horrible. That's, ugh, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so what, what else triggers it? Is it just, is it just calls, getting calls like that, that, just, that well, triggers it? Sometimes in... Honestly, my mind will just kind of bring it up and I'll think about it for like a split second and just kind of think about something else. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sitting there dwelling on it. Do you find that, because uh, this happens to me and I want to see if it happens to you too, like sometimes you'll be watching a television show or even a movie and and something will happen in there and it quickly brings you to one of your scenes or one of your calls or something and you're like, whoa whoa and it kind of catches you off guard and then you're like okay I'm fine I'm okay <laughs> that happens to me all the time <laughs> yes it does. especially um we actually not too long after I started we had a murder suicide um luckily I did not work that one but I had to deal with the aftermath um you know media and everything like that so you know when I see you know in the news or whatever something about a murder suicide it does bring that up um I did see those crime scene photos. They're still in my head. They'll, those will never go away. So I'll just be like, oh, okay, let, let's move on. <laughs> you know, we're all good. Yeah. So hold on a second. You just said that you sometimes had to deal with the media. So you were the PR person as well for your department? Uh, no, thank goodness. Um, my boss, um, he was the public information officer. He um, is our jail administrator and he's actually, he's still there. He's been there for 20 years now. Um, so, but if they would call the department and so we'd have to try you know, give him, give them his cell phone and be like, um, no comment. Um, I'll need you to refer to, you know, our PIO. Right. So. Okay. Okay. Right. You, you had a, you had a tough job there. Now, a lot of people don't, well, I'm not gonna say a lot of people. I worked law enforcement. I worked CSI for 15 of my 20 years, but Mm -hmm. I only, I only sat up with 911 and dispatch just, just for a couple of days. That was part of our training because we had to see what they went through. Uh Um, But I, I still didn't have to um, live it every day like you did. So tell us what it's like to actually hear somebody calling in. I mean, you're, you are the first responder. You're the first one that person is talking to and dealing with when they're calling 911. I mean, you are it. You're the first one before cops ever get there before crime scene investigators ever get there. 
they're talking to you. So what is that like? It can be overwhelming sometimes because, you know, things can happen in a split second. So you're thinking, okay, this call, okay, I need to send my officer. First, foremost, they're going to go, okay, now I need to call this, this, and this. And, you know, if I would get calls that weren't even in my jurisdiction for 911. So I relied on getting like landmarks and, okay, where exactly are you at? Give me, you know, details and descriptions and things like that. So I did a lot of breathing deep breaths, you know, to calm myself Uh while while I was trying to calm them down. So that was a task in itself because like my heart would be racing and I'm trying to keep them calm, but keep myself calm (laughs) as well. Right. Because you're a human being. I mean, dispatchers and 911 operators have to be that calm voice, right? To keep the other person calm. But here we are human beings with a heart, with a soul, with an emotional (laughs) makeup, you know, it's like, do do, do you ever find, um, or is it, maybe it's easy for you. I don't know. Is it, is it easier or hard for you to be, to sometimes, you know, be very robotic and be very, you know, by the book, by the, by the textbook. Okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to call this person. I know what to do. And then after you hang up, you're like, Oh, fall apart. Um, I, or, or are you better than that? Or may, maybe that would just be me. Cause I don't know if I can handle the 911 calls. I think it just really would depend like on the situation that's going on. Um, like if it was a real, real major afterwards, I'd be like, okay, now I have to, you know, get all this paperwork done, you know, just to keep my mind from it and, you know, finish the job that I needed to do. Right. I I learned to really cut off my emotions and I think that played a big role. And so now since I'm not doing that, it's my emotions are more raw because they're starting to come back out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I grew up at something so simple now. (laughs) So do you think by now, now that's a coping mechanism that we all have, Sarah, we, we learn to cut off our emotions so we can handle the job. So do you think that caused part of your depression as well? I think it could have, in all honesty. Um, I, I never really thought about it, but it would make sense because I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to feel anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just get not feeling things and, and move on. <laughs> right, exactly. And so now that you're talking to this counselor, you're talking through your feelings and you're owning up to them and you're coming face to face with them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Basically facing all the demons for, from years, you know, whether it's personal or work-related, whatever. And, you know, if I want to move forward, I got to conquer these demons and be like, you know what? It's okay. I tripped. I fell. I'm learning in a better way. Right. Now, what do you do for a job now? Are you still a 911 dispatcher? What do you do? I'm not. um, I'm actually a security dispatcher uh, for a casino. Um, it's a fairly large casino, but we do interact with our tribal police department and 911 or 911, <laughs> our um, tribal dispatch almost on a daily basis because um, the sectors for the tribal police department, we, they have their northern, southern and all that. And their office for up north where I'm at is actually 
at our casino. So they'll come in and say hi and, you know, just talk with us and things like that. That sounds like a cool job. So how, how big is this casino? Like how many floors is it? It's just um, one big. It's, it, it's two. Um, but the main like gaming floor is just the main bottom, uh, floor. And you're the security dispatch. So there's security officers throughout the casino and you're their dispatch. Yes. Okay. And, gotcha. and not only do we dispatch security, we take inbound, outbound calls. We um, have radios for every department in the casino. Okay. And so we dispatch every single one of them. Plus, you know, all the phone calls and everything. Okay. So it's a lot more than what the, you know, little police department. And I think that's actually helped because of the, just the call volume, learning to use my radio better and things like that. Okay. Now, how are you handling life today differently than you did before to live a more healthy life? Like list, list some things that you're doing now. I, I mean, in addition to your counseling, what, what are you doing to live healthy, a healthy life today? The main thing besides the counseling is you know, just, just praying to God, you know, keeping him, my focus, letting him control everything instead of me trying to control everything because I've done that doesn't end well ever. <laughs> so you have a relationship with God. Yes. We never talked about that. That's good. That's good to hear. I, I do too. And, um, unfortunately I did not, I did not call on God or lean on God as much as I should have during my scenes. And I wrote about that in my book as well. You'll, you'll read that that I wish if I can go back, I would lean on him more and, and pray to him to take away all the haunting scenes and put me at some peace. And I, I didn't rely on him at all. I just shut down and just completely cut myself off. And uh, on all honesty, I did the same thing. You know, I remember, you know, praying here and there, you know, but not really making him the main focus. Right. So that's definitely one of the biggest things. Um, right. And now, my mind's clearer. So I'm processing things better instead of just keeping it all bottled up and, and mm -hmm. everything. So I'm coping. I'm learning to cope. There you go. We're always learning to cope. Yeah. What advice can you give um, anyone who wants to become a 911 dispatcher? Um, main thing, you know, kind of see where your mind's at before really starting um, because it will take a toll. Um you know, make sure you learn to process, give yourself time away from the job, you know, don't make that just all you do. Mm -hmm. Um, or you'll be like me and burn out very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, keep that focus, you know, you're there to, you know, be there for others and get them the help that they need as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, and as well as your officers, you know, they're your main priority. Um, at least for me, you know, my officers were my main priority. Right. And, you know, of course, the callers come calling in, of course. But, you know, if I didn't have my officers, then I what what did I have? You know, so I always tried to have a good relationship with them. That sounds good. Sarah, you've been such an inspiration. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to everyone about your depression and 
your job as a 911 dispatcher. I really appreciate your time and thank you for being so brave as to, you know, coming forward and saying you were depressed and stressed and anxious because not a lot of us like to admit that, you know, it's yeah. It's not fun to talk about at all. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And for those of you out there who are thinking about becoming a 911 dispatcher or just a 911 caller, just I hope that you listen to what Sarah had to say. And if you're anyone else, I hope that you now have a better understanding of what dispatchers go through. And, um, thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Good luck with the future. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> Join me next week when I talk with a mental health counselor about mental illness and trauma as it relates to our first responders. See you next week. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.